Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. God chose a Moses on the backside of a desert an abominable shepherd in the eyes of the Egyptians. Why? So that Moses' flesh should not glory in his presence. That's an interesting picture of us when we think of that us, the common desert bush and the Holy Spirit in us as the flame of fire coming out of the middle of this bush. There's, there's no thrilling real, there's no greater, there's no greater thrill There's no greater thrilling realization for us as believers than to come to this full understanding that God's Spirit lives in us. Now, I know we know that as a doctrine. I know we know that because the Bible says it, but the question is, has it really come to impact us? Have we gotten a hold of it? Do we really understand this? God's Holy Spirit living inside of us. You know, this was the truth that when it grabbed Apostle Paul, it changed him. It did something for him. He speaks about this, not only in Galatians 2.20 where he said, Christ liveth in me, but in Galatians 1, 15 through 18, where he wrote about his life story and he said, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So here was Paul with a tremendous call from God to, as a Jewish person, to go to the despised Gentiles and, as he put it, preach among the heathen. That was really, for Paul, a mission impossible. How is Paul going to preach among the heathen? We see that in verse 15 of this Galatians 1 chapter, we see that Paul had his call from God. He said, God called me by his grace. And now the question is, how is Paul going to be able to do that? Where is his enablement going to come from? And Paul says it was revealed to him, his enablement from God was revealed to him. What was the enablement that God gave Paul to accomplish what God was calling him to do? Very simple. He said, God revealed his son in me. When God revealed to Paul that his son was in him, in the person of the spirit of his son, then when God revealed to Paul that his spirit of his son was in him, Paul saw himself as just that common everyday desert bush, but the Spirit of God in him was that flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. 
This was the great revelation that God gave to Paul of the how he was going to do it. This was the how-to God was saying to Paul. This is how you're going to fulfill my call. Paul, you're going to go and preach among the heathen. How, God, how? Sit tight, Paul, verse 16, because I'm going to reveal my son in you so that you might preach him among the heathen. How was God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Paul? The Lord Jesus Christ was in Paul in the person of the spirit of his son, called in the Bible the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God, also called in the Bible the Spirit of Christ. That's exactly how Peter described the Old Testament prophets as being able to write the prophecies that they wrote in the Bible. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. 1 Peter 1, verse Peter 1, verses 10 through 11, where Peter speaks about the Old Testament prophets and he addresses how in the world they were able to see and write the things that were going to happen in the future. And he says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Peter described the ability of the prophets as coming from the Spirit of Christ which was in them. So the Spirit of Christ and the prophets made each one of the prophets a common everyday desert bush with the Spirit of Christ in them as a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now whether it's Paul or whether it's the prophets or whether it's us, we come to understand how we can do all things through Christ. As God reveals to us that the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of His Son is in us, then we understand. When God reveals to us that the Spirit of His Son is in us, then we will see ourselves as the common everyday desert bush and the Spirit of God as a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. When we see that Romans 7, 8 is true for us, which says that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. When we see that John 15, 5 is true of us, where it says about the Lord Jesus Christ that without me, ye can do nothing. When we see that John 14, 16 through 17 is true for us, about the Holy Spirit where it says that he may abide with you forever and that he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Then we will have the confidence to say the very words of Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Then we see ourselves as the common everyday desert bush and the Spirit of God as a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And that also changes how we see our temptations and our trials. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, which is the beginning of the temptation of the Lord in the desert wilderness, where it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Then was Jesus led up into the wilderness. He was led up of the Spirit 
into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That verse is telling us that it's the Spirit of God who led the Lord Jesus into the wilderness so that he could be tempted by the devil. That verse is indicating to us that it's the Spirit of God who wants to do battle with the devil through the Lord Jesus. When we look at temptations and trials, we say, oh, the devil is wanting to destroy me. I have to fight with the devil. But when we are tempted and tried, it's actually the Spirit of God in us that wants to fight with the devil through us. And when we're tempted and tried, it's the Spirit of God in us who wants to triumph over the devil through us. So Matthew 4.1 is actually telling us that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. It's the Spirit of God in us who wants to defeat the devil through us. We're just a common desert bush, nothing special, but there is a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush that will defeat the devil. Now that also means when the devil challenges us, when the devil attacks us, the devil does not have his goal to defeat just a common everyday desert bush. The devil is actually challenging and attacking the flame of fire coming out of the midst of a bush. And when we are conscious of this and always conscious of the fact that the Spirit of God is in us, then we will see every challenge and attack on us from the devil as really a challenge and attack on the Spirit of God in us. That means we're just a common desert bush, but it's the Spirit of God or the flame of fire in the midst of the bush that the devil is really attacking. Now, we come now to verse two. What amazed Moses when he saw the bush was described for us in verse two where it says, and he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Moses was first drawn to see the bush that was burning with fire. That's not an everyday occurrence, but it was that this bush was not consumed. That's what grabbed him. He first he goes to look at the bush, it's on fire, but then he realizes the bush isn't burning up. And that just amazed Moses. You know, a Russian czar one time asked an advisor, what's the greatest proof that the Bible is true? And the advisor replied back, two words, the Jew. The fact that the Jew has survived is the greatest proof that the Bible is true. And that burning bush with the fire, it's actually even used today in Israel as a symbol for the nation of Israel. Why? Because so many times the Jewish people have been targeted for destruction from the Romans to the, well, even before the Romans, from the Canaanites and from, as we're here, with the Egyptians and then the Romans to the Inquisition, to the Crusades, to the pogroms, to the Nazis. The Jews have been, been targeted over and over and over again. But you know what? The Jews actually end up attending their funerals. And the Jew remains. And today we have the Iranians and the Palestinians and they've targeted the Jew for destruction. And the Jew will survive. Why? Why? because the Jew is like the bush that was not consumed with fire. Moses described the Jewish people in Egypt in Deuteronomy 4.20 as in an iron furnace when he said this, Deuteronomy 4.20. But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as ye are this day. So from this verse, it really appears that Pharaoh was like Hitler. Hitler had iron furnaces, concentration camps. Pharaoh had iron furnaces for what purpose? To burn the, body, the bodies of the Jewish people. So as a matter of fact, it's actually believed that when we get to Exodus 8, when God told Moses in the third plague 
for Aaron to strike the dust in Exodus 8, that it was actually the dust of the burnt Jewish bodies from the iron furnaces that was struck and then turned to lice. So down through history, the Jews have gone from one iron furnace to another iron furnace. So what explanation does the Bible give for why the Jewish people have not and will not be consumed by all those iron furnaces? Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 7. Isaiah 63, 7 through 10, where it's written this. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Now, these are some of the most wonderful verses in the Bible about God's love for the Jewish people. These verses speak of God's loving kindnesses, of his mercies, of his great goodness to the Jewish people. They speak of how God became the savior of the Jewish people. And then it says, in all their afflictions, God was afflicted. Then God tells why the Jewish people have not been consumed the angel of his presence saved them. And it was because of the presence of God in the fire in the middle of the bush that kept the bush from being consumed. It was because of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the middle of the Jewish people that have kept them from being consumed by their enemies. God, by his presence in the midst of the Jewish people, in the midst of the Jewish people who have rebelled against him, in the midst of the Jewish people who have vexed him, has nevertheless, God has nevertheless preserved the Jewish people as a nation from being destroyed. And even though the Jewish people, they rebelled against the Lord Jesus Christ, he has not, he never will forsake them because of his great love for them. Throughout history, this is what we see. He has marvelously saved them over and over again from their enemies. Now in verse three, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. So now we see Moses talking to himself. Well, it's no wonder if we were, no wonder for us to see Moses talk with himself. There's nothing wrong with that. It's out there, he's out there. There's no one else to talk to. He may forget how to have conversation to go on. He's in the backside of the desert. The sheep don't talk. So Moses wants to have a conversation. So what does he do? He speaks with himself. Moses tells himself that he has decided now to turn aside. He wants to see what Moses calls a great sight, a great sight. And the great sight is that the bush is not burnt. So Moses was so impressed with the bush that it didn't get burnt up. You know, it's interesting. In all of the Old Testament, the word bush only occurs here in these three verses, verses two, three, and four, and one other place. That's all. You never find this word bush any place in the Old Testament except here and, the, and in Deuteronomy. And it's interesting how the verse in Deuteronomy, when it speaks about the bush and it goes back to this bush, how it refers to it. It says in Deuteronomy 33:16, and for the precious things of the earth and fullness thereof 
and for the good will of him that dwelt in the bush. Let the blessings come upon Joseph and on top of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. In this passage, Moses is explaining how God blessed the sons of Jacob. He goes one by one. And here Moses comes to Joseph and he speaks about and he refers to the one in the bush here as the one having the good will. And he says the good will of him that dwelt in the bush. Now, what happened, in other words, what Moses was saying here is what happened at the bush was a display of the goodwill of God. And when Moses spoke of God in the bush, he said that God dwelt in the bush. And that's a very important Hebrew word, dwelt. That's the word shachan for the use for the dwelt. And that word is used in the Bible also for the tabernacle. The word tabernacle is mishkan, and mishkan comes from shachan, to dwell. So what God what emphasized about the tabernacle was the goal of the tabernacle, or the purpose, God's purpose for the tabernacle, which he stated when he gave his introduction to Moses that he wanted to make a tabernacle in Exodus 25, 8, when God said to Moses, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Let them make me a mishkan, a tabernacle that I may shachan, may dwell among them. So the purpose of the tabernacle was for God to dwell among his people. And that concept of God dwelling with man in the tabernacle was used as a basis for how the rabbis described the fire or the glory that was seen over the tabernacle. The rabbis, not the Bible, but the rabbis called that Shekinah, the Shekinah glory. Again, it comes from the word Shekhan, to dwell. Now, this is the word, the dwell, shakan, that Moses used to describe what he saw in the burning bush. He saw God dwelling in the bush. In other words, God was totally at home in the bush, like the word dwell implies. God had come, he unpacked his bags, and he's going to reside there. He's going to stay there. He's at home. He's comfortable in the bush. And this amazed Moses. And so he talks about it was the goodwill of him that dwelt in the bush, And what amazed Moses about all this was that the bush was not consumed. And Moses described God as dwelling in the bush, and he had a good will, and the bush was not consumed. And so when he referred to him in the bush as the good will of him that dwelt in the bush, the question for us is, how was the good will of God seen in the burning bush? Again, Moses said it was the good will of him that dwelt in the bush. So it's a good question for us. How was that goodwill seen of God in the burning bush? Well, the answer is what impressed Moses about the bush. He says, why the bush is not burned. That's what he said in Exodus 3.3. Why the bush is not burned. In other words, why the bush was not consumed. Why was Moses impressed with the fact that God was in the bush, that God had a goodwill, and that the bush was not consumed? Fire in the Bible always speaks of judgment. As a matter of fact, Moses told later in Deuteronomy 23 through 24, he told Israel these words, take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image, or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden, hath forbidden thee. Now verse 24, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. 
So now, Moses warns Israel that God judges sin, and he describes God in this judging sin mode as a consuming fire. So again, we ask the question, if God is a consuming fire, then why was not the bush consumed? And the answer is, the bush was not consumed because of the goodwill of God. You and I, and every one of us, has sinned. We all should be consumed by the fire of God's judgment. God is a consuming fire in his judgment. We should all be consumed by the fire of God's judgment. But, like the bush, we are not consumed by the fire. Why? Because the fire should have consumed us because of our sins, but that fire fell on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Isaiah 53 is saying over and over and over again in Isaiah 53, 4, when he says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. In Isaiah 53, 5, where he says, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. In Isaiah 53, 6, where it says, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Isaiah 53, 8, for the transgression of my people was was he stricken? Isaiah 53, 12, he bare the sin of many. Over and over and over and over again, the truth is being stated, which is summarized in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins. And that means the fire, the, the judgment that was due us, it fell on him. And it's expressed so well in this hymn, O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head? Our load was laid on thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead, didst bear all ill for me. A victim led, thy blood was shed. Now there's no load for me. Death and the curse were in our cup. O Christ, t'was full for thee. But thou hast drained the last dark drop. Tis empty now for me. That bitter cup, Love drank it up, now blessings left for me. Jehovah lifted up his rod, O Christ, it fell on thee. Thou wast sore stricken of thy God, there's not one stroke for me. Thy tears, thy blood, beneath it flowed, thy bruising healeth me. We're like the bush. The consuming fire of God's wrath does not consume us because it fell on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Moses referred to the bush in Deuteronomy 33, 16 as the one who had the good will, the good will of him that dwelt in the bush. Now in verse four, we read that, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. Now we see that when Moses stopped and turned aside to look at the bush, that out of the middle of the bush, God calls to him. So God calls out the name of Moses. That must have been really a surprise for Moses to hear his name coming out of a bush with the fire. And Moses knew that this was God because he knew his name. Moses knew something about God, and he had heard God now for the first time call him by his name. And Moses spoke about this 
He spoke about this incident in Exodus later on, Exodus 33, verse 17, where he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight. I know thee by name. God said to Moses, I know thee by name. Isn't that wonderful? Wouldn't you? Isn't that a great thought of the God saying, I know you by name? And when Moses heard God call his name, Moses knew that he had found grace with God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 